passages uh, of the new creation that are scattered throughout the Bible. The everyone under their vine, everything restored, a river that flows and gives life to the nations, fruit that bears constantly. I, I love those images. But as I said to the kids, if, if we take eternity as our reference point and we think about the good creation before the fall, and if we think about the, the awesome wonder of the new creation that will be, that's going to be forever, this period of death as a factor, it, it is just a blip. But that is the age we've been born into. That's, that's, that's our reality. It's all we know, but it is a temporary state of affairs. The norm that death ends all life is a temporary norm. That reign of death, that, that kingdom of the fall will cease. And death will have no dominion, but it will be ended once and for all. But we all know that in this current state of reality, of the reality of death's rule, it works its way through all of life. It, it affects everything. We fear scarcity. We fear that there's not gonna be enough uh, of all sorts of things. There's not enough time. We fear the loss of time. We fear the loss of opportunities. What if I miss my chance to do that thing or to go to that place, what if there's not enough money for the plans that I have? If we don't do this now, if we don't go there now, we'll never do it. We've all done that, right? We've made those calculations, we've said those things. That is death talking. That, that's the reality of death working its way into our thinking. I, I don't say that that those are wrong calculations. It's just that's the reality. We do make those calculations because of that sense of scarcity. Death working out its dominion. But brothers and sisters, we are not under that dominion. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the curse the curse of death and the thinking that is defined by death and finality and loss, that no longer has mastery over the redeemed of the Lord. It's part of the realm we live in, but it does not have mastery over our thinking. So this truth, the liberating power of God, is what Jesus speaks in this passage from John, John chapter 11, that's where we'll be this morning. Jesus brings life and he breaks the power of the curse over his children. So please do look with me. John chapter 11, we're working through John. The Lord shows here in a profound way that he's the giver, the bringer of life. But for us to recognize life as life, for us to recognize the giver as the giver that he is. His actions and his life are set against a backdrop 
of death in this moment and all of its horrible corruption. So as the moment opens, Jesus had recently been in the Jerusalem area. The last few weeks we've looked at that. Uh, you remember that he, in the fall, September, October, it's a movable feast, uh, he'd been there for the Feast of Tabernacles. And at that feast, the, he had kicked up a real ruckus by identifying himself as the light of the world, identifying himself with the God who had led the people through the wilderness in the Exodus. And they had picked up stones to kill him. Then he was back mid-December for Hanukkah, the, the feast of the rededication of the temple. And again, he was saying there, I and the Father are one. Now we're a few, somewhere in January or February of that next year, and he's gone back to the wilderness area where John had been baptizing at the beginning, around the Jordan, and he receives word that his friend Lazarus, with whom he has stopped and stayed many times, Lazarus is sick. What's happening at that house in Bethany? Bethany just situates two miles from Jerusalem. Anytime he came to Jerusalem, he was stopping in with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. What's happening there is familiar. It's the curse of the fall working itself out. There's sickness. Lazarus takes to his bed. At first, nobody's too worried. You know, he's just sick. It's going to be fine. After a day and he gets worse, the fear sets in. The fear starts to grip the heart. How long is he going to be down? There are no parents in this household. Lazarus is the wage earner. Mary and Martha, they're unmarried. They're very likely teenagers. I don't know if you've pictured them like that. They're probably teenagers. The household depends on Lazarus working. Mary and Martha, they, you can imagine them. They're having some hushed conversations. Let, let's take stock. What do we have? How long, how long do we have to do something drastic? How long can he be down? If only Jesus were here. If only Jesus were here. If only this had happened around Hanukkah. And then he takes a turn for the worse. And now they know something has to be done. They're in the village. Bethany's just a cluster of little houses. They find probably a boy who's willing to, to make the run up 50 miles to Anon. That's where Jesus is. 50 miles up the Jordan Valley. Can he get there in time? The boy heads off and they're standing at the doorway watching him. They're comforting each other, wringing their hands. How long is it going to take him to get there? They know that Jesus doesn't need to come all the way down, right? They've heard the stories on Jesus' visits. They've heard. There was that centurion who didn't feel worthy to have Jesus come. And so Jesus healed his servant at a distance. There was that official. That time Jesus was at Cana. And, and over in Capernaum, there was a Jewish official who came over 15 miles to Cana. And Jesus healed him. 
15 miles away, healed the, the son of that official. They've heard those stories. So all they need is for that messenger to get there in time. They're competent in Jesus' love. They've no, got no doubts about his love. Just get there in time. And so they're praying, Lord, hasten the messenger. And then Lazarus died. We all know, though, that the curse doesn't just stop with the physical death. This is the fall we're talking about. The curse is about control. Death mocks the control we long for. It says, whatever control you imagine that you have, meaningless. Meaningless, said the preacher. It's all meaningless. Whatever you accumulated, whatever you worked for, death mocks it and says, someone else will have this. It mocks the control we long for. But even when death brings that verdict about our lack of control, completely denying it, we still desperately try to assert it in some way. When the loss comes, how do we, how, how do we act now? How do we get control of the circumstance? No sooner is Lazarus in the tomb, Mary and Martha are thinking, now, now what? They're wrestling with what can life be like now? The mourners are coming and their wheels are turning. How can we, how can we live? There's no life insurance. They're unmarried girls who were living with their brother. They are vulnerable. They are some of the most vulnerable people in all of society at this moment. A male next of kin can come in and claim the house and the lands with no promise of taking care of them. Why didn't Jesus come in time? They're wondering, why didn't he come? Why didn't he just, why didn't he just say the word and heal their brother? Surely he knew somehow he loves us. We know he loves us. Why has it gone this way? I think these are the things that are swirling around in their minds for those two days. Sorry, for the four days before Jesus arrives. Verse 20, Martha hears Jesus is coming and she goes out to meet him. And those thoughts come out in her welcome. Lord, if you had been here, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God for, God will give you. Now, it isn't that she's here asking Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. We know this because when he goes to actually do that very thing, she tries to prevent him because the body's going to stink. What we're hearing from her are words of trust. They're just, it's simple trust. 
Lord, you, you could have done something. We know, we, we know you could have done something. I don't know why you didn't, but I still trust you to do whatever's good. We know that whatever you ask God for, God will give you, and whatever you ask God for, it will be good for us. We trust you. We don't see anything good right now. But whatever you ask God for, God will give it. It's trust. It's faith. She trusts that Jesus still loves them and that he'll act for their good. And it's faith from the midst of a dark place. Here in, in verses 20 to 22, in those words, Martha is speaking from under the dominion of death. She does not yet enjoy what we enjoy, the brokenness of the curse. She and Mary had done all they could, but death won. And it won because, like all of creation, they were under the curse of death. But what they've known, they've known Jesus enough to reach out to him. More importantly, under the shadow of death, in these dark circumstances, with all of its consequences, they can say to him, though death rules, they stretch out and say to him, we trust you. In this place of loss, pain, and confusion, we're going to lean on you. And then at verse 23, Jesus says what at the time was a very normal word of comfort. It, it's similar to things that we, we would say. It was something many others had already said to her. It's such a common saying that it fills ancient literature around death. This statement, your brother will rise again. It's a funeral statement. It's the sort of thing you say. Your brother, it's an encouragement. Your brother will rise again. And so Martha says what was the appropriate normal response. I know he'll rise again at the last day. It's a script. But when Jesus says something, there's never cliche. The cliche was built on a truth. And Jesus says the truth. Your brother will rise again. I bring this about. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He says. That's what he had come to say. The meaning of this moment. That's what he had come to say. Four days earlier, he'd received the message. Look at the early parts of the chapter. He'd received the message about Lazarus, and he had said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He knew that Lazarus would die. He knew that Lazarus' body was going to fail. He knew the darkness of this moment would be heavy. In this moment, Jesus is going to allow death to make its greatest claim, to assert its power, 
show its strength. And then in verses 5 to 16, before he heads down to Bethany, his disciples are feeling the weight of it. They're feeling the hopelessness. He tells them Lazarus has died. Not only that, he says, we're going to go back there, right back to where there's all that hostility against us. We're going right there. Right where they want to kill me. And it seems like a hopeless journey. And Thomas speaks for the group and he says, let's go, let's go too that we may die with him. They don't yet believe what Jesus has said. I am the light of the world. And so he reminds them. Verse 9, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. They have the light of the world there with them. There will be no stumbling while they're with him. And yet, stumbling is what they fear. They fear the dominion of death, and the light is with them. They're reasoning, they're seeing according to the reign and the finality of death. They assume it, they fear it. They're reasoning according to it. This moment, the, the weight that all of these disciples, Mary and Martha, their friends in Bethany, the disciples with Jesus, that weight, it's the same weight that we experience. It comes to us in, in so many forms, the darkness of the curse. It's that that we feel that threatens to consume us. It threatens to destroy us. It threatens to take everything good. It's so great that we will do stupid, ridiculous things to avoid what we fear. Nameless things that we fear. We haven't even identified what it is that's driving us over here. But we'll do stupid things because of this fear. We'll go to places we know are vile. They're horrible. But they seem for a moment to be happy, to be well lit. They're, they're better somehow than the fear that's driving us. And yet they're death. And we'll go to them. The false hope carries us right in. It's with fears like that that the disciples, that Mary and Martha, they're vulnerable in this moment. The darkness presses in on them. They're stunned, they're paralyzed, they're confused, they're afraid. Nobody in Bethany knows what's going to happen to these young ladies. It's a heavy weight. And Jesus cares about it. He's bringing light. He's bringing life. But he also cares about the weight that they're carrying. Even though all along he knows he's going to take that off. He's going to throw it. He's going to remove it as far as the east is from the west. And yet he weeps. He feels that weight for them the burden of the pain on those he loves. Jesus hates the curse. 
He hates the dominion of darkness and what it does to us. He hates where it drives us. He hates the fears that drive us along. That is not what he wants for us. And because he loves us, his mission to earth was to break the power of that pain and its consequences. To bring life and tell, to bring salvation to all who would believe. And so that darkness that threatens to consume and destroy us, he will stand in the way of it. The darkness that claims ultimate power for us, the ultimate power will stand in the way of. It cannot overcome the Lord of life. John said at the opening of this book, light, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So whatever absolute claim that death may make, however complete its dominance seems to be, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the answer to whatever the claims are being made. And, he, and then he shows it. He says it and he shows it. He proves it. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, whatever's holding you cannot hold you. I deny its claim to hold you. Come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with bandages and his face wrapped with a cloth. Friends, brothers, sisters, that same curse that hung over that moment, that kept those people imprisoned for that moment, it still holds over the earth. It's wielded by Satan and all the enemies of God, the fear of it. But Jesus, the resurrection and the life, has done his work. He has opened the way through it. He took every consequence of the curse, every single one. He, this is part of our creed. He descended to the dead to the greatest extent, and it could not hold him. And he opened a way through it. So his word tells us, if you have died with Christ, you will live with him. And you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory, brightness, strength, and power. So, for us who have been joined to Jesus, we've passed out of the dominion of death, out of its rule, out of its mastery, its threats, its terrors. They no longer dictate life to us. They no longer have the right to dictate life to us. We can instead walk by the light of Christ so that we walk in the light and don't stumble. But we don't, do we? Just as happened with the disciples. They had Jesus, 
light of the world, right there with him. And they were captive to fear. Like that, we can start taking our cues again from the domain of darkness, from the message of death. We can become overwhelmed by the force and the weight of our fears. So loudly do the fears shout. So powerful can their consequences feel. So impending, so heavy, so terrifying. They can obscure this everlasting frame of reference. That's ours. That's ours by right now. We can forget all shall be well. Every manner of things shall be well. We forget our rewards are boundless. Whatever we might lose now, our rewards are boundless. We forget grace has been lavished, heaped, heaped upon us, that we'll enjoy complete satisfaction forever. We forget that God loves our loved ones more than we do however much love we have. It's a speck. It's a dim, shadowy reflection of the love God has. We can forget that he woke us from the sleep of death. Not because we were good and clever, not because we figured it out, not because our desires were right, not because we inclined him in any way, but because he delighted to do it. We can forget that. And so our fear for others can be, our fear can drive us if only they will figure it out. If only the penny will drop. If only they'll stop doing that, then they'll be good enough that God will be inclined to them it was never like that. It wasn't like that for us. Why do we expect it should be like that for them? So I invite you to receive the gospel. This is just the gospel we're in, right? Receive it. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him shall never die. He is your life and healing. It's found nowhere else. It's found in nothing else. It's found with no one else. We find life with Jesus. He wants us to find life with him. The God who made the universe offers a universe of life himself. So give him your fears. Receive the gospel. Live this. Give him your fears. Give him your thoughts. Give him your heart. Give him your possessions. Give him your family. Give him your friends. Lift them. Yield them up. And through his gentle working, you will find death and the dominion of death swallowed up in victory. It does not have a claim on you. Lord, let this be for us 
Lord, communicate yourself to us. We need your revelation. We need the light of your life. Oh, light of the world, shine on us. In Jesus' name.